Hello and welcome back to the Veterans Lounge Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Mata, and today I have a very special guest, someone who is very modest in the accolades and the prestige surrounding his his uh, military service. Um, his name is Matic Rudak. Now, if that name sounds a little peculiar, it's because Matic wasn't born in the U.S. He was born in Poland. Monik is a Polish immigrant who moved to this country in his teens and decided that he, like most vets, he needed something bigger. He needed something greater than what he was experiencing. And as Monik will share with us as well, there's something a little bit more personal behind his reason for joining the service. But uh, Monik is a West Point grad he is airborne. He's an airborne ranger assigned to the 82nd Airborne, uh, Iraqi war veteran, combat veteran. He has a, a whole wealth of experience to share with us. And today he shares some very unique uh, perspectives behind his upbringing, um, his service in the military, and also what come what came after following his transition into the civilian life um yeah and now modic rudak all right welcome back to the veterans lounge podcast miguel mata your host once again and today i have a very special guest mr modic rudak and i believe wow. i did pronounce that correctly yes yes great job miguel yeah i've been i've been practicing i've been practicing And I, Marek is, is someone that I met um, through a previous uh, project, and uh, I, I had to get him on because he's got. Well, I mean, you've got you've got so much experience. You've got so much experience, personal experience, on top of your military experience, that um, you know. And, and we probably won't even get a chance to get into that. But um, I wanted to make you a part of this project, and I'm glad that you you agreed to spend a little time with me and spend a little time with the veterans who might be listening, because you really do have, I think, um, a unique a unique perspective to the military, um, yeah, to the military experience, your own your own experience, and I I, I want to thank you, thank you for for coming on. Well, my pleasure, my pleasure. Um, I really appreciate you having me on and being, I guess, second episode in your podcast. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I feel I feel very honored that I'm, you know, not the first one, but one of the first ones in the shoot. Your military journey kind of makes its way through some pretty prestigious lanes throughout the army, and um, I'm curious, you know, how that came about for you. Sure, sure. Yeah, no. The, the the fine thing about prestigious, it's always relative, you know. Okay. When you <laughs> when you compare yourself to somebody, to somebody else, or you know, it's it's yeah, it's it's all relative. But you know, I definitely appreciate the compliment. Yeah. So you know, with me, it's um, it's a bit of a unique story, as as you can notice uh, from my accent. I wasn't born in the United States. I was actually born in Poland, time of communism, towards the tail end, and so I, I experienced what it looked like, um, especially as as it wasn't this in disintegrating. It's not that we were starving or anything like that, but 
just selection wasn't there. You know, you always had just basic foods and anything kind of extra or, or fancy. You had to spend a lot of time in line. For example, you know, oranges, things like oranges. These days we go to, or, you know, go to any store, you pick up oranges just like that for, for, for pennies sometimes, you know, depending on the season. But I remember as a kid, the only way we could get oranges was from Cuba because that was one of those few communist countries and we, we get them very rarely to like wait in line. And so that uh, really made me appreciate things or just the fact that I would wear the same clothes that my colleagues went, uh, that my classmates uh, wore to school, same shoes, because there was no variety because, you know, in a communist system, there's no reason to be innovative, competitive. So it was just very utilitarian. So um, that definitely really made me appreciate uh, the blessing of, of being United States, you know, first of all, just moving from, from a communist country to, to uh, a country with so much freedoms and, and so many blessings. Um, and growing up, I didn't have a father figure The the thing that was very weird back then, you know, unfortunately it's not very weird now, but especially back, back in communist Poland is my dad didn't live, live with us, which back then I there was nobody else I can think of in my out of the people that I knew that that happened. So it was always very awkward that my I mean I had a dad but he didn't live with us, and my dad passed away uh, when I was ten. And the sad thing is that when he passed away, I didn't really cry at the funeral just because I don't really know him. I mean, it's really hard to mourn after somebody you don't really know. And the unfortunate thing that happened is my father figure was a very abusive grandfather. Um, what happened is that, especially back then, housing wasn't very plentiful. It was very hard to get a mortgage, get a house. So typically you ended up living with your parents. And uh, so what ended up happening is that me, my mom and my grandma lived in the same small apartment as my grandfather and grandfather was my father figure, if you will. And he was just very, very critical, very abusive. Like the, the words that he used, I mean, even to this day, when I think about the things that he said, I, you know, I, I cringe, you know, it's, it's like, I think all of us experience that, you know, there's that one person that says things and the way they say things, they really stick and they really hurt. And that was basically my grandfather on a daily basis. And so I didn't feel it safe at home. I always try to stay quiet. And it was hard in a small apartment because I was, I was afraid of being a, a target. And so what happened is that after my dad passed away, my mom remarried. Um, uh, and so when I was 13, she moved to the United States. When I was 14, I joined her. And I'll never forget the day she picked me up at the San Francisco airport. I, I look at her and she's got a big belly. She's seven months pregnant. I, you know, uh, I mean, obviously uh, as an adult, you know, people get married, they have kids. That's pretty logical. But at the time I was 14, I, uh, I was, I didn't expect that. And from that moment on, right, wrong or indifferent, I felt like a fifth wheel in my, in my brand new family, because, you know, here's my mom, uh, she's married, she's about to have a kid. And I, at the time, I was envious of my single siblings that they have this perfect family, and, and I just felt like a, like a misfit. And so that's why I really focus on accomplishments, um, and especially that that wound in my heart. My grand growing up, ever since I can remember, my grandfather always criticized me. It made me feel like I, I wasn't adequate, and so I set on this path to prove my worth. And you know, the thing about it is, is that if I had to do my life all over again, without a doubt, I would have still joined the military. I would still would have went to West Point. But the, the, the reality of the situation is at the time, I was craving for validation. And then I remember seeing all these movies. You know, typically you have some military vet or military guy is, is a hero. And I thought to myself, man, if I go in the military and or go to West Point, man, I'll, I'll finally have that confidence. And, and after that, everything will be easy peasy because 
that will give me that internal confidence that I that I always missed. Uh, and so that's that's what that's what led me to West Point. I'm I'm super blessed to be to have been accepted. I'm, I mean, I had a good academic record, but you know, it's it was. I'm still looking back at it. I'm I'm, I'm I'm not really quite sure how it happened because I, I wasn't a very likely candidate. I mean, a lot of my classmates, they had, you know, uh, brothers, sisters, dads in, in the in armed forces. And here I was, somebody who did, at the time didn't even spend uh, four years in the United States. And all, all, by the way, there was another story with, with me trying to get my paperwork straight with citizenship to make sure that I can, you know, actually start with my class. And that's another story that we don't, we don't have time to get into. But, uh, but the thing about accomplishments, it's like, it's never enough. Right. So, yeah, it was great that I got accepted, but it was like, well, what's the next thing? So I really threw like the, the way West Point works. It's every you ranked on everything, academics, physical, military. And I, I did very well. I graduated in top 10 percent of my class. Um, and then again, it was enough. So I was like at the time I was a computer science major and I thought to myself, well, you know, the kind of the logical thing for somebody in the army, if you have a computer science degree or anything to do with like electrical engineering, to do signal coach, it's basically communications. Um, uh, computers, kind of the, the, the things that help the, the military, military talk. And obviously, it's actually grown a lot since because there's the cyber warfare aspect to it as well. So that would have been kind of the logical, logical choice. But then I, I was on my, on my way to prove myself. So I thought, well, uh, okay, that's nice, identity, but I don't want my kids to know that their dad, you know, just work on the keyboard in the army. So I was like, why don't I go to uh, infantry? Because then you get a chance to go to ranger school, go to airborne school. And then that's what I did. I ended up in 82nd Airborne Division. And, and again, obviously, um, if I had to do it over again, I would have done things differently while in the military. But don't get me wrong, I am super blessed. And I would have gone in the military all over again in a snapshot if, if given a choice to do it all, all over again. The the explanation kind of that you gave there at the beginning, that was just, that was part of your realization that that your military journey, at least the way you, um, as the, at least the way you understand it, was about validation. It was right. about validation, getting, feeling some sort of validation that you were, you know, that you were, yeah, worthy of, of, of you, right? Interesting. That's, that's, that's really interesting, you know? Um, and I really like, I don't know, I, I've, I've heard that story not not your specifically but mm -hmm. people want to emulate what they've seen on tv right and they say hey right. yeah this is this looks like fun and of course you know being young men right all full of piss and vinegar if you will you know <laughs> to, to use nice words <laughs> and they want to they want to you know they want to be a part of it all but they really have no idea the movies are just that the movies they don't capture what that experience and you, which you have firsthand experience as a combat veteran. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm honestly not entirely certain what direction to go with this. Only that as someone who does not have combat experience, um, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like I'm exploiting you in any way, mm -hmm. but you know, what was that like? I mean, as far as like your personal story, here you are, you, you went to West Point, you went to the 82nd Airborne, you're a Ranger, you're an infantryman. And in retrospect, you're, you're saying that was all part of a validation purpose to be valid, mm -hmm. to be validated. Now you're in the Middle East, you're in combat. Right. I'm curious what's going through your mind at that time. Yeah, I mean, you know, and again, back then I was a different person. I was like so looking forward to it. I was like, yes, war. I get, 
I, I get to do the things they you know I see on TV um, but when we got there it's it's so much different I mean like I I've gotten I've been very blessed with a, a lot of great military training you know to include ranger school but you know there's this saying that the army or and I think it's fair to say the military all across the board always trains to to fight the last war and so the training that we've gotten was perfect but it was really meant for this conventional warfare this kind of like this cold war showdown in europe or, or whatever else with uh formations that wear uniform that have a similar structure and similar equipment and obviously that works super well in the first gulf war i mean what like victory was achieved in in the matter of a few weeks and oh by the way in the first gulf war iraqi army was like like the third or the fourth largest in the world and well, guess what the same thing happened in, in the second gulf war in a sense that it only took a matter of weeks to overrun the regular forces, but the insurgency, nobody was ready for that. Um, you know, for example, like uh, our my unit, 82nd Airborne. So our uh, the kind of the standard mission of 82nd Airborne is to be able to deploy anywhere in the world within 18 hours, and so that meant getting our airplanes and parachuting in uh, uh, and doing airfield airfield seizure operations. Basically, like you secure an airfield. And then you just build out from there because once you have an airfield, you can just fly all sorts of equipment and you typically do it behind enemy lines because that really gets into the enemy's decision cycle, which is basically inspired by Blitzkrieg, which was so uh, effective in World War II. But where all of a sudden the enemy doesn't wear the uniform, you don't really know who the enemy is. You have intel, but then that intel, I mean, you know, I mean, let's be honest, at, at, the, at the strategic level, everybody's heard that you were, they were supposed to be nuclear weapons and, and there weren't you know so you know if that was the case at strategic level think about the intel that you're getting at the tactical level you, you get these targets but then you look at them and you wonder i mean are, are these guys really terrorists because they could be but are they really and so it was just very hard in a sense that um we were definitely prepared for fighting kinetic war against enemy that was uniform but what was so tough is to do that in an urban setting with civilians and and really not knowing who you're fighting or who might start the fight next and making sure that you are not actually making the problem worse by creating terrorists but based on your actions um and it's and it, it's, it's it's very hard i mean it's it's um and especially when i was there it was just after the invasion so this was very new everyone was learning uh, and quite frankly to this day i'm still trying to reconcile what happened and you know knowing what i know now not that I've done anything criminal or, or, or evil, but I just know that if I knew what I know now, I would have approached things uh, differently for sure. You piqued my curiosity, and I, I, I don't know if it's appropriate to ask you to dig mm -hmm. a little deeper. Like, what does that sure. mean? Like, what would be an ex? Sure. I cautiously ask, what would be yeah, an yeah, no, no, you know, no, it's what no worse. Like with me, how would you approach something different? Like you said, is it was a new experience. Yeah. It's a new class of warfare, mm -hmm. and I think, I think it's safe to say. I think it's safe to say. I feel comfortable saying this that, as veterans, who have been a part of this conflict, for now going on twenty years, mm -hmm. it's safe to say that. Okay, so without, with, excuse my French, that it's kind of been a shit show. That being said, you know, how, what is an example mm -hmm. of something you could have done different? Yeah, sure. So, like, 
maybe I, I can give you an example of, you know, like kind of like what I mentioned just at, at a high level. Um, so for example, I remember this one time um, my platoon was supposed, so like, if you remember like back at the beginning of the war, especially when we didn't have a lot of uh, armored vehicles, for example, like when we, what happened with us is we, we literally got Humvees with no armor from uh, different units. Like we got some from our air defense artillery or some from support. So basically all of a sudden we became motorized infantry and back then there was no plates. We were just basically riding cargo Humvees and the security was, you know, guys facing out and then maybe yeah, putting like heavy machine. Yeah. So, uh, and then, so, and so what happened, especially in early wars is that the, uh, the insurgents, what they would do is they would grab artillery rounds and they would turn them into IEDs. And that was very, very simplistic, but super effective, especially on vehicles that don't have uh, much armor because back then vast majority of the vehicles didn't. And so what was very important, like when that was happening is to secure the ammo depots. Cause you know, um, Saddam's didn't have the, the latest technology, but he had a lot of old school technology, kind of like the, the classic artillery, you know, tank, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, rounds that go into our, uh, um, like artillery uh, um, pieces or, or, or tanks. Uh, and he had a whole bunch of these ammo places all over Iraq because not only he was preparing himself for potential invasion, but also he was a dictator. So he had to have army forces all over Iraq spread out to be able to quell um, any type of uh, unrest as needed. And so, for example, like my unit got the order to go into this one area. And uh, I remember um, like the orders were is that if you somebody, if you saw somebody carrying these things, like our arm, like, you know, like artillery rounds, and if you can't get to them, you had to go ahead to shoot because it's, it's a likely conclusion that, you know, they were going to use it for vet, for bad purposes, you know, even if they maybe not them directly, but they would eventually sell it to somebody who would, you know, obviously it's not like you can eat artillery round. And so, so for example, this, this one time I went in there, we couldn't get to the vehicle and I ordered the, my, my guys to shoot, you know, and they shot the vehicle stopped, you know, we come over and then you see this like regular guy. I mean, like, you know, like bullets all over the place, you know, bu bullet holes, you know, and, you know, and, you know, to this day, I'll never forget this. Like, I thought this guy was dead. And you know what he did? He said, Mr. Cigarette, cigarette, you know? And, and, you know, long story short, we were able to get him to like a med station to patch him up. But, you know, but he, here's where the conundrum comes into place. Well, you know, I did what I, what I was supposed to do. Oh, and then the, and the other thing is that when I told my company commander, he'd actually praised me. Oh, this is fantastic. Great job. Great job. You know, which, you know, again, you know, like you can, you can we look at it from both sides because yes, you know, let's say he was a terrorist or he had an idea, he was going to sell. Yeah, I did the thing, but like, you know, what if it was just some, uh, you know, parent, you know, you're, you're a parent, most of the, most of the, most listeners are, you know, if you, if your kids are hungry, you can imagine after an invasion, it's hard to get food. Like maybe he was going to sell it for, for money. And, you know, and, it, and so like all these thoughts kind of come back. It's like, well, you know, like it's just such a mess, you know, there's like no, like, no, there's no like clear solution in all these, all these cases. So those are the kind of things that um, looking back, you know, like bother me is like, Hey, did I actually help or did I contribute to the problems? Um, and so, and, you know, to answer you specifically, what, what I would have done, I, I wish knowing what I know now, and I know that the army gotten a lot better since on this, 
you know, for example, like that's why General Petraeus, when he came, when he started, uh, took over Iraq, things changed. Uh, you know, it took a few years for a lot of smart men didn't pick up on it. But like knowing know what I know now, I would have uh, done a better job of finding ways not to use force. You know, um, and and I, I wish that I would have spent more time on the relationships, because you know, there's this saying that to a man everything to a man with a hammer everything looks like a nail, and because you know, like whenever you do training, you kind of like shoot at the the targets and you whenever you drill you you have you know you, your your guys wear uh, pretend enemy uniforms so it's always like how can i uh, increase my lethality and decrease my exposure to the enemy you know how, how can i kill more enemy and, and and decrease my exposure and so that's kind of the mindset that we have which is perfect when you're fighting a, an enemy that, that fights by the same rules but when all of a sudden you fight with an enemy that doesn't wear uniforms it gets really messy and unfortunately for, for our armed forces, it took us a good few years to, to figure it out. You know, eventually we did with, with, with General Petraeus. Um, and, you know, especially looking back, and, and it seems like Iraq is probably gonna be okay. But, you know, when I look at Afghanistan, I mean, it just, I mean, I, I, I wish them all the best, but then, you know, it's, it's pretty almost certain that, you know, Afghanistan is gonna fall in a matter of months. And this is, oh, by the way, our longest fought war. And so it's like, you know, was was this worth all this trouble and treasure? I, I don't know. And so that's why that's why looking back, it's it it makes me wonder because I was part of it. I think know. I think you're what you're what you're kind of delving into right now, the the space that you're delving into is is something that a lot of veterans have a difficulty with, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like uh what was your what was your contribution right what right. was your contribution was it honorable or what you know you just you just have all these all these questions arise right all right. these questions arise sure and unfortunately um i've heard an, an, a, another story similar to yours where um you know there's innocent loss of life in in the middle in in those circumstances and it's not much consolation but unfortunately you in in the moment you know you really only have time to react right and mm -hmm. that's that's what i learned at least from this other story i won't that i won't necessarily go into details about because i don't have the person's permission but mm -hmm. it was it's it it's it's also an unfortunate result right and to say, to call it unfortunate comes well short of what it actually is, right? Right. But, um, you know, um, I, I just out of curiosity, how are you doing with that now? Uh, well, what really helps me is that ever since I left the military, um, I've become a stronger Christian. And so that uh, really helps me with forgiveness and uh, forgiving myself forgiving others and so it's not something that um has a you know almost like a ptsd impact on me but it's just something that um it's like man i wish what i know now back then i i, I want to make sure that i i, I tread lightly here mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. i'm not a trained professional i don't know how sure, to sure. Have, i don't know how to have these discussions properly per se mm -hmm. You know, uh, you and I can have have a, a topic, but I don't necessarily want to make you mm -hmm. feel uncomfortable. But 
so I asked the question, is that something that you, that you still, does it bother you? Does it bother you? That's still a poor choice of words. Is it mm-hmm. something that still kind of comes up often or is it, is it happen less? Yeah. So that typically come, comes around when, whenever I think about military service, you know, it's not like I, I think some think about all the time or on my own, but you know, for example, whenever I watch news, you know, right now, like you, you kind of talk about, you know, there's uh, some news about Afghanistan. It just kind of makes me wonder and go back. Um, and it kind of makes me remember. It's like, man, you're just such a, you know, what, what were you thinking? You know, because I used to be like, yeah, go to war. It's going to be great. And, and you realize that, you know, and it's funny because I, well, funny, it's tragic because I remember like, you know, reading these things, how like war is a mess, you know, because to me, like one of the best quotes, I forgot who it was, but one of the best quotes that I that I think summarizes my experience with war is that wars are easy to start, but they're very difficult to finish. I've actually had this discussion with my kids, you know, talking about Band of Brothers. And they right. have those little interviews uh, at the beginning of that show, if you've never seen it. And the, the, the they're old men, right? And they're mm-hmm. recalling their, their experiences from World War II as if it was yesterday. Right. I told my, I was telling my kids, I was like, I was like, I want you to pay close attention to this because this old man can recall those experiences as if it happened yesterday. Right. And it's still with him. Right. Vivid, you know? So, um, and I don't say that necessarily to discourage them from joining the military. I say that to make sure that they understand that there is, a lot more truth behind your service. There's a little bit more to it than what you see on in the movies. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift gears a little bit here because uh, we did get into it kind of heavy. Since you separated from the service, mm-hmm. right? What are what have you? What, what are you doing now? Yeah. So um, what happened after the service? You know, I was still a different person back then. You know, I was still kind of chasing that next accomplishment. And so I uh, ended up getting a job with ExxonMobil because, you know, they were paying great money. At the time, you know, oil and gas sector was doing well. I got to travel a lot. And, uh, and you know, obviously looking back at it, I, I, w- I was in, uh, with Exxon for 10 years. I learned a lot. Um, but when, what really kind of really shook me up is that about two years in, I went through a very nasty divorce that, quite frankly, nearly killed me. You know, it's kind of ironic in the sense that I've been to Iraq and Afghanistan, but by far the the closest I've I've, I've came to um, harming myself, and you know, and and, and um, was uh, was after my divorce. Uh, you know, what ended up happening is my ex-wife cheated on me, and that was that was very hard because I I knew my marriage wasn't perfect, but that was like the last thing that I expected to happen. And so that was, that was very hard on me. And, and as painful as it was, it was exactly what I needed to, to rebuild because up until then, I mean, I, I built things, but it wasn't a very shaking foundation. So like once all this crumbled, it made me really for, it really forced myself. And, and quite frankly, I thought this was my second chance to, to build things out that the way I should have built them originally, the, the way the way I was meant, to, they were meant to be be built, and so that that set on uh, set off a, a long exploration. Didn't happen overnight. It, it took a good few years, but you know, in interest of time, what happened is that the more I kind of got to know myself, I realized that my my calling is to start my own business, 
And so to me, I figured out the best way to collect all these experiences that I've had, uh, good, bad, and ugly, is to transfer that into leadership coaching. And so uh, what happened is in 2018, I, I quit my job and I committed myself to, to coaching full time. And now I'm super blessed to work with companies like Pinterest, Yelp, uh, kind of like your mid-sized tech companies um, and, and help the leaders grow and develop. And, and that just been, that's, that's been very, um, very rewarding for me. And I really enjoyed that. I asked you a question during our pre-interview and right now mm -hmm. the answer escapes me, but so I'm going to ask you again, mm -hmm. um, in your experience so far as a, as a leadership coach, mm -hmm. um, are, are companies looking for seeking out people with military experience? Do you think? Uh, it, it depends. It depends. I think that, um, some industries, uh, how can I say, I align better with military than others. I mean, I, I don't think any company discriminates against, but I think that, you know, if you think about companies, each company has its own culture. And and so, for example, like, you know, oil, oil and gas used to be a great fit for uh, military folks because there's, there's it was very structured. It was very methodical. So that was, you know, for, for example, for me, it was a very easy transition. Um, I, I think that, like, creative fields are probably not as... Um, not as uh, full of, of veterans. It's not, not again. I don't think it's because they're discriminating, but I think I think uh, on average, or obviously, I'm, I'm not you know trying to broad brush, but I think on average, veterans tend to be more uh, comfortable with processes and, and 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 systems. And so, typically, like the startups or kind of the creative fields are not the uh, the uh, a, a common place that which you, which you find veterans. Um, I mean, I, I think that there are. How can I say? I think that there's still. Um, they're still trying to, there's just kind of like a sense of figuring out how to uh, use veterans. I think some companies are better than others. I think that some of them, they have the right intentions, but they don't feel fully equipped or they don't know how to integrate uh, veterans. Because if you think about it, you know, look at, look at an average tech company versus somebody who's like an infantryman, like, well, I mean, there's definitely overlaps, but it's not intuitive. And so um, a, a lot of times people have the right intentions, but they don't know how to integrate a veteran so typically it's we're all guilty of it we tend to stick what we know just like you know as veterans we tend to hang out with veterans <laughs> you know similarly with the with the siblings who haven't served you know uh if with all things being equal or where where, where they're not sure they're gonna stick with somebody that's more like them that has more experiences like them and so typically in the companies and fields that there's not a lot of veterans then you know they're, they're gonna go with with a non-veteran we haven't been talking very long and mm -hmm. you've already shared so much Mm -hmm. And um, there's so much more to learn. Let me uh, let me ask you one last question before. Mm -hmm. I no, no, actually, I have a couple more things I want to get into. But one sure. thing for for sure, I want to talk to you about your your book a little bit, The Love sure. Driven Man. What's what's mm -hmm. that all about? What inspired that? Yeah, sure. So I, I wrote this book right after quitting my job. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it helped me soul search and, and helped me to put my experience in perspective. So basically what it does, it, it helps um it helps the readers to look at their experiences from, from a Christian perspective. It helps them to identify those wounds. For example, in my case, that those wounds were from my grandfather. But as I, as I talked to a lot of men, you know, each, each man had that grandfather figure in their lives, whether it was that, somebody else, and, and helps them identify them so that way they can transform it. Because what happens is that if we don't deal with these emotions and then what happened in the past, 
it holds us back. It, it leads us to, you know, if you look at the, the covers, like that choice versus love and control is that if we don't deal with our wounds, they, they tend to control us. You know, they're, we feel less than, there are things that we're stuffing down or places that we aren't willing to go. And so what the book is, it helps you to look at yourself, identify those experiences, and then helps them uh, to transform it from, from the place of love. Because once you transform them, then that's what makes you stronger. And actually, a lot of times, that's what really becomes your story that makes you a lot more relatable and a lot more effective at whatever you, you're doing, whether that's being corporate America, entrepreneur, or even a third grade teacher. Wow. Um, now, I, now I really do have to buy this book because when you talk about, especially when you talk about men mm-hmm. exploring their feelings and emotions, right? Right. you might as well be asking someone to scale a, a, a 50 foot wall vertically with with nothing to hold on to yeah right? it's it's almost not it's not the sexiest of subjects that's why there's not a lot of books on there <laughs> uh, it's, it's almost seems like an impossible task but um i'd be curious I'm, I'm definitely curious mm-hmm. about you know what strategies you have and, and mm-hmm. I, i'm 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 gonna i'm gonna buy your book awesome um, you, because you know i i, I don't know i I don't think I'm speaking for just myself, but there's definitely that men, there's something that men can learn by Mm -hmm. and and take away from exploring it, their, their experiences and their emotions and their feelings and whatnot. And just getting, you know, getting more familiar and and knowing where, what drives some of your decision-making. I know that's some of what you, what you explore too. True. How's your book doing, by the way? Is it doing pretty good? Is it, is it well, so what, it's kind of, it's like everything is a funny story. So it was doing very well right before COVID hit. <laughs> and then, you know, nowadays it's like whenever I do a conference or a podcast, the, the, the sales pick up. But, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of like, yeah, I, I got like the number one new release on Amazon, which is fantastic. But then literally like within a couple of weeks, the uh, COVID hit and uh and that really took a lot of a wind out of sales. And but you did uh, hit some some good news recently, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So it's kind of funny how like life life works in mysterious ways. So long story short, um, this Polish publishing company reached out to me, and they actually gave me a a, a publishing deal. So you know, and, and by me a publishing deal, they actually pay pay you money. You know, pay pay me in advance. You know. That's and cool. Because awesome. sometimes there are publishing companies. Yeah, we'll publish your company and pay us five thousand dollars. It's like, hold on a second, you know. <laughs> but this is the one that they actually pay you, and so so it's actually going to be translated in Polish, and released. Uh, they're targeting Christmas in in in, in, in Poland. So congratulations. Yeah, yeah, awesome, no, it's, it's, it's super cool. You know, because it's funny because when I first uh, tried to publish, I, I reached out to some publishers. It was like cricket, cricket. So I was like, screw it, I'm going to do it on my own through through Amazon. And then, um, and then I wasn't even looking for those guys, and they came out to me, and I was like, "Oh, awesome, good deal, good deal." One last, one last plug of information for your mm-hmm. book. It's available on Amazon, but it's also available on Audible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, because because that's one thing I've noticed is like some guys is like, "Man, I just don't have time," or "I'm I'm a listener." No worries at all. Actually, um, the guy narrating this book is an Air Force veteran, and he's got that Morgan Freeman voice. So if you're into Audible, no worries at all please check it out. Uh, you won't be disappointed by the voice. Monica, it's been, it's been a pleasure talking with you today and I really wish we could continue talking mm-hmm. and, and we might have another conversation, you know, offline um, on, at another time. There's one last question I was going to ask what, which was, um, and you kind of hinted toward this in our, in our previous conversation, which mm-hmm. is 
What's the what's the message? What's the takeaway? What is something that you would like to pass on to our veterans? Sure, sure. You know, so like what I'm really passionate about now is servant leadership, which apparently is 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 an old concept that's been around for from from seventies. And and the funny thing is, is that whenever I say servant leadership in the corporate sector, it, it kind of goes like a fart in the church, because you know the the senior leaders they're like, hey, I didn't you know, pay my dues to be a servant. <laughs> and then the, the young guys is like, hey, like I didn't, I didn't, you know, uh, go to school so that way, that way I can serve, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm still trying to figure out that the wording that resonates, but but the, the concepts that I teach, I may not call them servant leadership, but it's taking a look at situations from the other person's perspective and figuring out how can I best serve. And you know, the, the thing, the, the common misconception with servant leadership is that, hey, being servant leadership is a pushover. No, no. A, a lot of times serving means saying no, saying no to something so you can say yes to, to something else. Or a, a lot of times, you know, for example, like one of my key indicators that servant leadership is working is that you are not avoiding tough conversations. You know, there's this fantastic quote by Tim Ferriss that says roughly that your success in life directly correlates to the number of uncomfortable conversations that you're willing to have. And so, you know, seven leader doesn't say, oh, I'm uncomfortable conversation, I'm walking away. No, seven leader says, hey, I know this uncomfortable conversation is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be awkward, but I know that when we get through it, we figure out what the root issue is. We can finally come up with a solution that's going to solve the problem rather than stuff it down or be passive aggressive or me just assume that this person is no good, so I need to fire them. You have to have a lot of patience but in the long term, it is so much more fulfilling, so much more fulfilling. I'd have to agree. I'd have to agree. Monik, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for spending some time with me. Thank you for sharing so much of yourself. You've got such a fantastic story, lots of ups and downs, but it really sounds like you're on the uptick and you're doing really well. So congratulations for that. Congratulations on the success of your book. Congratulations on, on, um, you know, finding, finding your, your passion and, and good luck with that, by the way. And good luck with all the other things that we talked about too. You know, the, it's not easy to watch the news nowadays and have your mind wander, especially as a veteran. So, you know, best, best of luck to you in that area too. And you're always welcome to give me a call or shoot me a message sometime, you know, if you find yourself in a, in a tough, in a tough spot, I'll give you at least a, a, a an opportunity to vent if you have to. Sure. Right. So, but uh, yeah, thank you very much for spending some time with me and sharing your story with me and and my listeners. But thank you again. Thank you again. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Okay, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, I tell you what, Monik had a ton of interesting stuff to share. At least I thought, and I think a lot of us veterans can relate to Modic's experience as far as uh, joining the service or wanting to be a part of something, in this case, joining the service, um, because he wanted to be a part of something bigger than what he was. He wanted to be something greater than what he was. One of the observations that I made in my service, and I may have already mentioned this on the podcast, but one of the observations I made during my service is that it always seemed apparent to me that the men and women of the armed services, that 1% of the population that wear the uniform, they always looked at the world as bigger than what it, what they were. 
right? They always looked at the world as something greater than what they were, and they always looked at, I say always, that, that's not necessarily accurate, but many of them, many of them, a large percentage of them looked at the world as something greater than what they were. They saw it as something that needed their contribution, something that they wanted to contribute to, and Monik was just one of those people. So, um, you know, and, and luckily for him, you know, he was, he also, um, was able to look back on his experience in the military and realize that, that it was, uh, a matter of validation and a matter of, um, belonging and whatnot. He worked through all that stuff and it really sounds like he's doing okay. I think another thing that he shared that was very interesting that I think that a lot of veterans can relate to, especially combat veterans is that there can be a lot of conflicting thoughts that can creep into your mind after you've had some time to uh, reflect um, on your experience. It sounds like he worked through it okay. He found some he found some purpose, found some direction, and that sounds like what's what's helping him. Uh, if you're one of those folks who are having trouble with that sort of thing, make sure you're reaching out for some help, okay? Talk to a friend, talk to a buddy, talk to somebody you can trust. Um, always encourage people who are experiencing those types of issues to reach out for uh, a mental health professional and talk to a mental health professional. There's a, there's, I realize there's a stigma surrounding that, but I also can assure you from my own experience that it does pay good dividends. So that being said, once again, thank you for tuning in to the Veterans Lounge podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Remember, you can watch the video of this interview on YouTube, and you can also listen to it everywhere now, everywhere you get your podcast, especially on Spotify, our iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. Um, if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, please go to veteransnexus.org slash podcasts. If you liked this video, please like, subscribe, share it with somebody you know, someone you think might have a story to, sh to share of their own. Okay, I've droned on long enough. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. God bless.